Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome back. This one's a doozy. I'm Kevin. And I'm Haley. And we talk about stories of mystery, true crime, and folklore of the unusual, unsettling, and oftentimes unsavory goings-on of our world today, yesterday, and long ago. Mm. And we are here, episode 28. Yeah. And we are we, we just made it past spooky season. We did. So we had tons of bonus content all throughout October. And I like I miss hope, it already. I'm sure. I'm sure you do. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like sitting down, cranking out five episodes in a weekend because I'm like in such a groove. Uh-huh. I'm like, maybe we should just go to two episodes. And then Kevin, who's the voice of reason, is like, absolutely not. Yeah. <laughs> we are not ready for that yet. I am dying after this last <laughs> month. <laughs> oh, I'm, like, I'm just getting started. It's like oh morning people. Uh-huh. We're like the two versions of morning people. Yeah. Where one of them's like, oh absolutely gosh. not. And the other one's like, let's go, guys. I'm here. I'm here for it. Yeah. Um, man, so this week, uh, I am not feeling totally above the weather. You're not feeling above the weather? I'm not. I'm not. I'm I'm feeling the opposite direction of that. I don't know if I've ever heard it phrased that way. Yeah, you know, that's when you're creative like me. Yeah, those darn (laughs) creative types. That's the way to do it. Um, Luckily, most of our show centers around you talking, so. Thank goodness. I, I know. Thank goodness. Thank goodness. Um, but why don't we start out with the usual, my dear, what are you drinking at 1153 PM? Drinking a latte, dude. Of course. Of course. What kind of a latte? Why do you have to out me like this? (laughs) I'm drinking a pumpkin spice latte because I'm a tool for fall. (laughs) All the seasonal things. Yeah. (laughs) Just can't help it. We learned the other day that, that you... Just straight up anything seasonal, it almost is a guarantee that you're going to like it. Yeah, I got all up in arms about the apple cider cleaning supplies. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, you just used way too much of that. That's seasonal, Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Mm, yeah. What are you drinking? I am drinking a uh, tea this time. It's uh, vanilla Commodore. I think that's how you say it. Uh, tea from... Uh, Henry and Sons? Something like that. I don't know. Little, yeah. Little tin. Yeah, that stuff is good. So threw a little bit of creamer in there, threw a little bit of honey in there, and I'm hoping it will sustain me. It's caffeine free. Smart. Unlike you. So at this point, caffeine doesn't do anything to keep me awake. It just keeps me from getting headaches. That's true. That's a fair point. I I'm too far deep. I'm, I'm too I'm far gone. Too far gone. Impossible. Way too far into the belly of the beast. Uh-huh. <laughs> Um, so yeah, that's what I'm drinking. That's true. Nice. Well, we do have some exciting 
news, yes. an update from yes. the previous episode. I think this is a great moment to get into that. You tell us all about it. It's on Instagram already, but I feel like it's worth talking about here for a moment before we get into the rest of our episode. I think so too. So there are a plethora of articles about this already. Um, but the lady of the dunes who we talked about her on episode nine mm-hmm. of the podcast. And uh, for those of you who are not familiar, uh, there was a unidentified body that was discovered on a beach in Massachusetts that has remained unidentified since 1974, and they identified her this wow. week. So um, the Washington Post says, for decades, a slain woman was Lady of the Dunes. Now she has a name. The FBI used forensic genealogy to identify a body found in 1974 on the Cape Cod National Seashore in Massachusetts. She was named as Ruth Marie Terry, uh, who was age 37, and she was from Tennessee. So Wow. Hopefully this is the first step towards her getting to just rest in peace and Mm -hmm. her getting, you know, her family and her loved ones that are still here, that they can get some closure. And I really just hope they can identify who did this and um, that they can get her remains home to her family. So, yeah. 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 It's a huge deal. Yeah. And this is a very new story. Literally. They announced it yesterday. Yeah. Yeah. So by the time people are hearing this, it will have been a few days, but um, yeah, there's not really a lot of details out yet from what I could tell, right? Not a ton. Um, there, there've been some press conferences, but it's mm-hmm. pretty, um, basic information at this point. Um, they are able to, to locate photos of Ruth that mm-hmm. like her family had put out and that were just available to them so that we could see what she looked like. And, um, yeah, there's not a whole lot of information yet, uh, past her identity and like right. how they did it and stuff like that. So I'm just hoping that we're going to see more. Yeah. It and seems like they're pretty optimistic that now that they know who she is, that they can maybe begin tying some loose ends together to figure out who she may have been mm-hmm. in contact with and who, who may have done this. Right. So that's what we're hoping for right. next. So it's exciting, not because we're excited about death and people being, being murdered, but it's exciting because this is one step closer to justice. Mm-hmm. And it's also uh, one really solid step towards a family uh, finding some some peace. Yeah. So, man, and and honestly, an entire community. Because yeah. you've said you you said in episode nine that um, pretty much every um, new chief of police since the seventies, mm-hmm. like this has been active on their list, and they look back at it, and people that live there, like it's kind of local. Um, uh, not lore, but it's it's kind of a local, like passion interest. almost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People really have have cared about this woman and have wanted to know her name and to find justice for her. Mm-hmm. So we could put all the theories to bed. All of them were wrong. Yeah. Um, as far as we know, all of them were wrong. Yeah. And now we can just, you know, hope for the next update that it's in in a positive direction. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah. Wow. Crazy to think that after Wild. almost five full decades, um, this is the new information that that they found. And yeah, mm-hmm. it's exciting in that way. That's yeah. really, really, really cool. We love we love justice. We love getting to see people return to their families. Mm-hmm. You know, even even though obviously she died a terrible, awful death. Um 
now her family knows Mm -hmm. and now they can grieve her properly. And like, they know where she is. Right. So we've talked about that when we've discussed missing persons that I think the not knowing would almost be worse than having an answer and just having to wonder for the rest of your life. Um, So yeah, her family is in our thoughts this week as Mm -hmm. they receive that news. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, to take a, 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 a hard left turn, I think you have a, Feel good fact for us this week. I do. So you're going to, I think you'll like this one. Okay. So there is a university in Finland that awards PhD graduates with a top hat and a sword. What? The top hat represents freedom and the sword represents truth. Plus you look really cool at your graduation Uh, ceremony. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? (laughs) I don't know the name of the university because I clicked on the university website and I do not recognize the language. Ah, yes. I tried. Of course. I tried (laughs) and I couldn't like copy and paste yeah. like and tr- put it in google translate right. so i mean i probably could have but it was a little bit little the bit. google machine's a little advanced for me yeah i yeah. just figured out google docs so yeah give me true. some time this whole time you thought you were working on microsoft word and you're like oh i guess i'm using google docs <laughs> 30 <laughs> episodes later uh, well. yeah all right well my love why don't you go ahead and uh, take us into what we got today All right. So this week, it's a little bit of a shorter story, but it's so bizarre that I thought it was worth talking about. So for this week, I'm going to tell you about an average sort of everyday man who suddenly changed, believing he was being hunted, resulting in one of the strangest true crime scenes that I've ever learned about. This is the truly baffling story of Blair Adams. Hang on tight, Kev. This one's a doozy. All right. So we're going to travel to Canada's westernmost province, British Columbia, for today's story. In 1996, a 31-year-old man by the name of Robert Dennis Blair Adams, or just Blair Adams, was living his normal life. He was a foreman who worked for a construction company in Surrey, British Columbia, and was known at the time by friends and loved ones and even acquaintances as being kind of joyful and fun and had like a Mm. love of life. He worked hard and play hard. So from what I was able to find from statements from his family, Blair was a good hard worker. He loved his life, and it seemed like he didn't have an enemy in the world. Hmm. But in the summer of that year, his whole personality took a dramatic change. His usually cheery demeanor turned into a paranoid, anxious, frantic, and erratic one. Friends and loved ones were confused by this because, as far as any of them knew, There were no new stressors in Blair's life, and they didn't believe that he had been suffering from any sort of mental illness. Oh, wow. His mother, Sandra Edwards, noted that he began having violent mood swings that she and others described as frequent and wild. Hmm. So these intense mood swings were taking a toll on his work and his home life. Physically, he was drained. Being in a constant sort of pendulum swing emotionally, this newfound anxious and agitated state began to affect Blair's sleep. He was Uh getting less and less sleep each night, it Mm. seemed. Everyone around him noticed this, obviously. As the summer wore on, it came to a point where Blair's mother couldn't let it continue without trying to talk to him about it. She said, quote, something was obviously very much the matter. He hadn't been sleeping well. Something was wrong. I asked him numerous times what was wrong, and he said, I don't think I should tell you about it. And to this day, I don't know what it is, end quote. Ooh, okay. Yeah. That's getting a little spoopy. Yeah, a little stressful. Mm -hmm. So Blair's anxious and paranoid behavior came to a head on Friday, July 5th, 1996. He went to his bank and withdrew all of his money. 
somewhere around $6,000. He also had a safe deposit box with several thousands of dollars worth of jewelry, gold, and platinum. He Hmm. loaded all of that into his car and made a break for the Canadian and United States border. On Sunday, July 7th, 1996, Blair arrived at the border hoping to gain entry into the United States. So because this Hmm. was like a young single man, no kids, and because he had an unusually high amount of cash and like jewels. Yeah, yeah. Border officials were immediately suspicious that maybe Blair was a drug trafficker. So they ran a background check on him and discovered some drug-related and assault charges. So he was denied entry into the United States. So he turned around and headed back home. Yeah. The following day, Monday, July 8th, 1996, Blair arrived at work as usual, but he didn't go there so he could just do his normal job. Blair asked his employer for his final check and quit his job. Oh, wow. Yeah. So that same day... Blair purchased a $1,600 round-trip plane ticket to Frankfurt, Germany, that was set to take off the following day. Within just a couple of hours after booking his flight, Blair arrived unannounced at one of his friend's homes. In a complete panic frenzy, he explained to this friend that he needed help getting into the United States. Blair told her that he was absolutely terrified because someone was after him and was trying to kill him. This friend apologized and said she couldn't just drop everything and leave her kids home alone in the middle of the night so that she could try and sneak him into the United States. And so Blair left, still in a panic. The following day, Blair arrived at the airport. But instead of boarding his flight, he canceled his ticket and was refunded for it. He arrived at the Pacific Highway Border Patrol stop on foot. Right away, border officials noticed that he had cuts and bruises Hmm. on his body. There's a little discrepancy here. Some say it's his hands and like his arms. Others say it was his feet. Huh. Okay. Um, yeah. But on him, he had cuts and right. bruises. Right. They also noticed that he had matched the description of someone who was reported to have stolen a blue car that was later recovered near that border checkpoint. Oh. So they held him. Yeah. <laughs> uh, just for a minute, they're like, okay, you're being detained. We need to figure out what is going on here. Yeah. So Blair denied all accusations against him. And since they didn't have any actual evidence that he'd been involved in the case involving the stolen car, they really didn't have a choice but to let him go. But they did deny him entry once again. Mm -hmm. Interestingly, a friend of his later stated that they believed that they had seen Blair driving a blue car that they didn't recognize and not his car that he had always driven that he was like super proud of. Mm. He had like a really cool car. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, so that was interesting. So from there, Blair went on to rent a vehicle that he then drove to the border near Seattle. This was a Nissan Altima. And this time he was able to gain entry into the United States. He made his Hmm. way to Seattle, where he then booked the first flight out of town, which was headed to Washington, D.C. So some people think this is odd. Some people think that it makes perfect sense. I think it's a little weird because he spent $770 on a one-way ticket to Washington, D.C. when the round-trip tickets to D.C. were somewhere around $350. Oh, weird. It's kind of odd considering he could have spent half the money to have the option to go round-trip. Right. Um, You know, and he would have been able to decide if he wanted to go back to Seattle or not. So Mm -hmm. figured that was at least worth pointing out. Hmm. After he landed in Washington, D.C. in the early morning hours of Wednesday, July 10th, 1996, Blair then rented another vehicle, a Toyota Camry, and began driving southwest. 
He drove and drove for many hours until he reached the town of Knoxville, Tennessee, hmm. over 500 miles from where he'd first hopped into the vehicle rental. Yeah. Also, why wouldn't you just fly to Knoxville? That's weird. Okay. Yeah. I don't know. I huh. think I think the idea was, what's the first flight out of Seattle? And he just took that. Oh, I really think that's okay. why he bought the more expensive ticket. Sure. Sure. Um, and I don't know what the flight schedule was yeah. for that day, but yeah. the assumption is that that was the earliest because it was early morning. That makes sense, I guess. Yeah. So this was later looked into by investigators who were all confused by his motives for heading to Knoxville, like of all places. He didn't know a single person in the city or even a single person in the entire eastern United States. It's believed that he'd never even been there before July 10th, 1996. Mm. And they don't know if he had always planned on staying there and maybe like laying low for a while or if that was just intended to be a stop on the way to somewhere else. Mm, Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. The first known sighting of Blair in Knoxville was somewhere around 5 p.m. at a gas station. He'd rolled into the gas station and told the attendant he was having trouble starting his car. The attendant noted that Blair's behavior seemed paranoid and agitated. Mm -hmm. So the employee called a tow truck company and the man who came to help him, a repairman named Gerald Sapp, took a look at the vehicle and quickly discovered what the problem was. The key that Blair was attempting to use to start the car was not the correct key. Mm. He was using a Nissan key to try and start the Toyota vehicle. Hmm. So he must have held on to the other rental car key. Right. So Sap told Blair to check his pockets if he hadn't already. Like, let's see if maybe we can find the key, because obviously you got here using the key. (laughs) You know, you have to have it around here somewhere. But Blair refused. He legitimately would not check his pockets under any circumstances. The guy thought, like, this is weird. Yeah, this is. Something's off about this guy. He doesn't know, obviously, that he just fled his country. Right, you know, right. all the efforts he made to get into the U.S. or anything. He just is like, what's this guy doing? <laughs> just well, find I the can, key. You know? I would imagine like you're in Tennessee. Everybody's got a Southern accent. He's got <laughs> not that, a mm-hmm. very Canadian accent, I'm sure, I'm sure, if he's from British Columbia. And yeah, he's just kind of like wigging out. I mean, my initial gut would be to be like, what kind of drugs is this guy on? Mm-hmm. Like. So I don't know. This is Yeah, everybody up weird. until this point has described him as, as being very paranoid, agitated, mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. like off. Yeah. This guy, Gerald, specifically had a few like not really nice uh, observations that he made <laughs> that I don't feel like are necessary sure. to share. But like he noted that this is strange behavior. Yeah. yeah. So they searched the immediate area around the car and they also searched in the interior of the car, but they couldn't find the correct key. The attendant encouraged him to have the car towed and to contact the rental company because they might be able to help him get another vehicle or at least get the correct key for the vehicle that he has. Yeah. So maybe there's some sort of coverage that, you know, will make this an easier <laughs> wow. deal. So it seems like a lot of trouble for not just checking your pockets. <laughs> I know. So the rental company said they could get him a new key to the Toyota, but it wouldn't be available until the following morning. Mm-hmm. So the vehicle was towed to a nearby motel, which was the Fairfield Inn that Blair had also hitchhiked to. Hmm, Okay. Um, In some cases, I saw that he just like hitched a ride with Gerald Sapp Mm -hmm. and others said that he hitchhiked just kind of generally. I'm assuming he rode with Gerald Sapp. I would assume so. That would make the most sense. Yeah, because he was like, I think he was an interstate repairman. So like he was used to towing cars, making fixes, all that kind of stuff. So it would make sense that he would get in and 
take the car to the same mm-hmm. place, you know. So Blair's behavior at the motel was also very strange. CCTV footage, as well as a statement provided by the guest services representative at the hotel, show Blair Adams and his interactions over the course of the next few hours. The guest services representative, a young woman by the name of Tika Hartsfield, had this to say of Blair's behavior. Quote, the best way to describe him would be paranoid, nervous, agitated, Hmm. expecting someone to come in on him, even though there wasn't anybody there. I don't know who he was waiting for, but he was waiting for someone to walk in for him. End quote. Weird. So when he came into the motel, he didn't immediately ask to book a room. He stood anxiously at the counter, kind of rubbing his face and pacing around. He Hmm. entered and exited the lobby five times over the course of one hour before he finally asked if he could book a room. So he paid for his room. And once it was all booked up, he took his room key and walked out of the front door. This was around 7.37 p.m., so he did not head to a room. Interesting. Okay. It was later determined that Blair never entered the room that he had booked, and he had neglected to take the change from the guest services attendant that was due to him from paying for his room in cash. Oh. Yeah. Very strange. So the CCTV footage of Blair exiting the hotel is the last known time that Blair was seen alive. Mm. Oh, weird. Yes. Okay. Yes. At 7.30 a.m. on Thursday, July 11th, 1996, the body of a young man was discovered in a parking lot about a half of a mile away from the motel that Blair had checked into. Content warning here. I'm going to describe the state of the body in the parking lot, and that may be upsetting to some mm-hmm. listeners. Mm-hmm. So if that's you, then please feel free to skip ahead a couple minutes. So the body was discovered with the pants and underwear crudely pulled down. His shoes were removed. The socks worn by him had been turned inside out and his shirt had been ripped wide open. Hmm. Surrounding the body was roughly $4,000 worth of American, Canadian and German currency. And nearby, a small bag was found that contained somewhere around $2,000 worth of gold and jewelry. Hmm. In some sources that I used, there was also a larger duffel bag near the body that contained maps and various receipts that belonged to Blair. Sure, sure. So bizarrely enough, the key to the Toyota rental car was laying about 10 feet away from his body. So he had the key. Yeah. The ID found on the body identified the deceased as Blair Adams. Hmm. There was no murder weapon discovered at the scene, and there was also no DNA evidence that was discovered on or near his body or his possessions. The closest thing that we have to a witness is a security worker who was working at a site near the parking lot where Blair was found that had heard a scream sometime around 3.30 in the morning when Blair was killed. Oh, weird. Okay. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Blair's body was sent to a nearby medical examiner's office who discovered numerous cuts and abrasions all over his body, including many wounds that appeared to have been defensive wounds. There was a wound across Blair's forehead that was believed to have been caused by a crowbar or a similar instrument. There was evidence to suggest that he'd been sexually assaulted, but there wasn't any DNA on his body to confirm this. Hmm. The cause of death was clearly from the massive blow to his stomach that had left his stomach ruptured, an injury known as abdominal perforation, likely caused by a crowbar or similar instrument. Toxicology revealed that there were no drugs or alcohol in Blair's system. So what or who had Blair been running from? And what caused his greatest fear that somebody was tracking him down to kill him, 
And what caused his greatest fear to be realized? Because he was convinced somebody was after him Mm -hmm. trying to kill him. He was so convinced. Enough so to flee thousands of miles. Right. From his home. To have it all turn out that something terrible happened to him. I know. So that's... Yeah, that's crazy. I'm just... It's a real... um, it's a real head scratcher already. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I don't say that. I know I'm, I sound like I'm maybe making a joke out of it, but like, it really is like, there's so many oddities around what he's doing. And I mean, just the fact that he got rejected from crossing the border twice. so many times. Yeah. Yeah. And then finally got across and then took weird flights, like right out of the gate. It makes you wonder about like his, his, uh, just his mental mm-hmm. understanding of what's happening around him. Yeah. And then it just feels like everything's confirmed when he turns up dead. Like It's very strange because yeah. like when I first started digging into this and I didn't know what was going to happen, my brain went to how many times I'm, because I suffer from anxiety and how many times that I've been working through the worst possible scenario Mm -hmm. in my head and Mm -hmm. how often that doesn't come to fruition. Right. You know, it's almost like you expect, you almost come to expect it to not when you're looking at it from an outsider's perspective. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so I was really hoping that they were just going to like bust him doing some like weird experimental drug or something like that. Right. And his greatest fear wouldn't come true, you know, because that was, he, uprooted his whole life Mm -hmm. because he fully believed that somebody was after him. Wow. Yeah. So initially there were a few angles that investigators looked at. The first was that this was a drug deal gone bad, which turned up nothing. Hmm. They thought that maybe it was a robbery gone wrong, but what kind of robber would leave over $6,000 of cash and valuables behind? Oh yeah. Investigators did a deep dive into Blair's personal life. They turned over every stone that they thought might give them an answer as to what could have happened to Blair and why, but this also turned up nothing. Weird. Besides more potential fodder for theories, sure, that sure. is. So it was learned that Blair had suffered from an alcohol addiction, but that he was two years sober at the time of his death. Mm. He had also told his mother in the weeks leading up to his death that he had stopped attending Alcoholics Anonymous meetings which doesn't necessarily mean that he had relapsed or that he was struggling, but they considered this as a potential lead for a short time. Sure. The motive in this case was just as mysterious as Blair's behavior had been in the weeks leading up to his death. What the heck was going on here? Right. And what motive could anybody have had to have done this to him? Right. So investigators believe that Blair was truly convinced that he was being hunted down and that he sincerely had been fearing for his life But with no evidence and nobody to connect those fears to his murder, we're left with only more questions. Yeah. Many, including investigators on Blair's case, believe that some unknown stressor had caused him to suffer a mental break that had led him to also suffer from paranoid delusions. Hmm. They believe that his frantic journey out of Canada and away from whoever it was that he had believed was after him was simply a tragic delusion with a devastating conclusion. Hmm. His friends and family don't understand this. It doesn't make any sense to any of them. Blair's story was aired on an episode of Unsolved Mysteries the year after his death. At the conclusion of the episode, they asked for anyone with tips or information surrounding Blair's gruesome death to please come forward. And from what I could find, 
Nobody has offered a useful tip in the years since. Wow. Since 1997. Yeah. Nothing. This is a 25-year-old case. Mm Mm-hmm. Wow. So in 2010, two women came forward and offered a description of a man that they claimed to have seen Blair talking with outside of a Cracker Barrel in Knoxville on July 10th, so the Mm. night before he was killed. Okay. They compiled the description that the women gave into a composite sketch and sent it around, but so far this hasn't led to anything useful. Hmm. And there are some questions that certain people have, certain investigators and people who have paid attention to this case, if this tip was legitimate. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. But that was the thing that happened. Wow. <laughs> so there are plenty of theories that various people have considered over the years. And so we'll share some of those before we wrap up. The first theory that we'll talk about is that this was an organized crime hit. This theory is primarily based off of Blair's past struggles and involvement in drug-related activities. For me personally, this is just an opinion, I feel like this one kind of falls flat for a couple of reasons. First, I'd be pretty shocked if this was a case where he'd made some like powerful people in the drug trade angry enough to kill him. And so they kill him and then don't take his valuables or right, his money. Right. That that stuff being left behind really throws that kind of theory for a loop. Yeah. Because that would just be oppor- like opportunistic. Like all this stuff is right here. Why wouldn't even take some of it? Right. You know. Well, I I I guess to push back on that a little bit. Sure. Like money can be tracked and valuables sure. can be tracked, and it would just take the right like bit of uh police work sure. to run that back to somebody that's fair but also if they had the scope to go from british columbia to tennessee eastern tennessee like they could have just taken stuff and divvied it out in such a way that no one would have ever known so right it goes, that is it goes true. both ways it it's certainly possible. Yeah. It just doesn't seem super likely. That feels kind of like a like a loose end. Right. That doesn't make a ton of sense. Right. Possible, but not the most compelling, sure. I suppose. Sure. The reason that many people are a fan of this theory, though, are not only because of his past experiences with drugs, but are also based on a recent trip that he'd taken to Germany with his girlfriend and some of their friends shortly before his death. Hmm. So apparently, despite his reputation of being loved by all who knew him and not having an enemy in the world, many would describe his behavior in Germany as being confrontational and abrasive. Hmm. So much so that they actually ended their trip early. So from what I gathered, he'd been living there for Mm -hmm. a while in 1995 in Germany, working for his father or stepfather, excuse me. Sure. And um, so German coworkers that he had had there they kind of explain that they would get into arguments with him just like all the mm. time, like fairly often. I wasn't able to find what those arguments were about or if they had escalated into something more serious than just arguing, but I saw that talked about enough. Yeah. So according to some friends, they described his behavior after he returned from Germany as quote, not the same. Mm. The idea is that whoever it was who he had made mad had in fact followed him across the world or across the continent, just as Blair had feared, only to end his life violently, leaving him bleeding and half naked as a final form of torture and humiliation. Yeah. That's what a lot of people believe. Wow. 
So the next theory, once again, this one comes with a content warning. So this theory heavily discusses adult activities such as soliciting. So if that sort of thing isn't something you want to hear, go ahead and skip forward. So the next theory is that Blair was killed in a sex act gone wrong. Mm-hmm. The idea here is that Blair had solicited sex, but that when the woman and potentially anyone that she may have been working for had arrived and things got going, that maybe the deal had gone sour, resulting in Blair getting attacked. Mm. With his pants down, he was caught off guard and left unable to defend himself from the oncoming attack, which resulted in his death. Mm. Though there was a sort of prostitution hub nearby the Fairfield Inn, a lot of people do have reservations about this theory. Once again, because of the money and the valuables. Um, but, you know, mm, yeah. once again, that's not really a sole determining factor if a yeah. theory is legitimate or not. Does, am I yeah, making yeah, yeah, any yeah. sense? Yeah. Okay, yeah. it's late. Right. No, that makes <laughs> sense. It's it's kind of like there's, it, I mean, it's the whole correlation does not equal causation. Just mm-hmm. because there is a presence of that nearby doesn't mean that that's what happened, especially if there's not a lot of other evidence backing that. Like once again, I feel like, um, a sex worker and who she's working for would take all that money. Yeah. Like why would they leave that there? You know? Sure. Especially because if it was like a deal that they had made that had gone Mm -hmm. bad, usually a deal going bad revolves around money. Right. Um, at least they would have probably taken the American currency. Yeah. Yeah. Or just something, yeah. you know, it seems as though all of his stuff was accounted for because, mm-hmm. you know, he'd bought plane tickets and right. rented cars and eaten food and gotten right. gas and stuff like that. So most of the money was accounted for. Right. So it, it just is, it leaves me feeling unconvinced. Right. It's not impossible, but I'm not convinced. So. Then there's this theory that Blair Adams had been suffering from some sort of unknown mental illness, which caused him to suffer some kind of psychosis, which led to Blair suffering some kind of psychotic break. Mm, Okay. So if we track with this theory, the whole fear that he was being stalked and that someone wanted him dead had led him to respond by fleeing, perhaps adding details to his perceived threat as he went which could explain how many times he changed directions or made confusing choices on his trip. Though he was never diagnosed with a mental illness, there was a family history of mental illness. And so it's possible Hmm. that maybe he had just been undiagnosed himself. Right. Um, I don't want to use this as a, I don't want to use this lightly, I guess. I feel like in a lot of true crime, we see, Of course, we see mental illness um, get brought up in relevant ways, but we also can sometimes see it being almost used as like a wild card, Mm -hmm. almost used as like a Trump or like a Trump card. Right, right. Um, And it's almost a little bit dismissive sometimes. I feel like when people throw that in as a theory, it's just like, well, I guess we should probably just talk about mental illness. Like mental illness is serious. For sure. Um, And it's something we don't take lightly. I wanted to just make that little... Yeah. That little rabbit trail. Yeah. It wouldn't be fair just to say he was, uh, just to pick a random thing, he was bipolar. And so sure. he made a lot of neurotic decisions due to that. Like, that would be not only, like you said, really dismissive, um, but once again, it doesn't actually lead any answers. Right. Um, even if something like that were true, it doesn't really help uh, right. all that much. 
Well, and I mean, you and I are, are hobbyists in this world. We're mm-hmm. not we're not medical professionals. Right. I loathe armchair diagnosing mm-hmm. that we can see happening in, in other shows. And, you know, I don't like it. Right. Um, and it also, I don't know. I feel like in one way it makes light of mental illness. And in the other way, it also can kind of caricaturize, which mm. is a lot of syllables, <laughs> but it can make a caricature out of real people. And I don't yeah. like that. So I don't share this theory lightly, all that to say. Um, so, yeah, yeah, this one, this theory doesn't make a ton of sense to me because from what I could find, nobody in his family and none of his friends reported his erratic behavior to authorities or to medical professionals. And from what I could find, none of them besides a few coworkers had advised him to seek treatment for his mental state. Hmm. This could obviously be for a few reasons. One, As we've discussed before, humans don't have the best track record of handling mental illness well and like how they would advise people around them. Especially in the 90s. Well, yeah. I mean, it's just a, it's not that long ago, but like progress has been so slow Mm -hmm. in this realm. Mm -hmm. And so it wouldn't surprise me if that wasn't like their first thought. Right. Um, Like it was, it seemed to me like any discussion that friends or family or acquaintances of Blair had had about mental illness potentially being a factor was mostly in hindsight. Yeah. Um, And I feel like that was pretty common for the time. Sure. Unfortunately. um, And I feel like now we would be more inclined to offer that up. Like, Hey, are you doing okay? Right. Do you have anything you need to talk about? Have you been speaking with a doctor about this? You know, Mm -hmm. those, we have these sort of things like filed away in our brains that at least like in our home and in our like friend circles and stuff, that would be one of the first questions we might ask. Right. Um, That just wasn't the case in the Mm nineties. So once again, not to be dismissive, but it is just a, it's a cold fact, unfortunately. Yes. This is a way different time for that kind of stuff to be even like taboo, you know? Yeah. Well, and I also put that, it could be that nobody really tracked how serious this was yeah, or that nobody considered the fact that just because he didn't have a formal diagnosis, it didn't mean that he wasn't still suffering. Right. Right. So once again, not to grandstand or anything, I don't, I just don't want to blame his family or friends for any of this. Yeah. That's a good point. So while I find it odd that he allegedly told numerous family members and friends that he was afraid for his life, what happened to Blair wasn't caused by them directly. And I'm sure they all already feel bad enough about the way that his life ended and how he'd spent his final weeks on earth. Yeah. And it seems like the escalation really was limited to like a less than one week period. Hmm. And he was pretty unavailable during that one week. Right. He was roaming around without cell phones. (laughs) Right. Like a whole different world back then. Yeah. So this is a prevailing theory across most of the sources that I looked at. It's believed that it's possible that a psychotic break is what had initially sent Blair on the run and that in an extremely unfortunate turn of events, Blair had found himself victim to a violent assault that resulted in his death. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. It's just so, it's so strange. Yeah. What would the odds be? That he would end up in a city that he's never gone to and that somebody who he didn't know, who didn't know him, would murder him violently while he's afraid for his life. It seems so unlikely that this was a freak coincidence. Right, right. You know what I mean? It's it's the, I guess in a way, it's the simplest answer, um, but it's not the most sensible answer. 
And the thing is, things like this, like, it isn't sensible. Like, that's the kind of the point. Right. Um, but, you know, you want to find answers and you want to find something that, that makes some kind of a sense. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, so far, none of those seem to make sense. I mean, we could go overly, uh, I guess, creative and, like, think of crazy things. We've talked about a lot of crazy things in this podcast. Mm-hmm. We could bring up aliens. We could bring up the Bigfoot. <laughs> like. Mm-hmm. But it just seems like this doesn't lend itself to that either. Right. Um, and it feels a little bit more, it feels like it's a little bit more in need of um, just sensitive conversation. And yeah. not not just like being flippant. Oh, yeah, he must have seen aliens. Like that would be, right. you know, just be maybe like crude. And mm-hmm. in this case, it's like, no, let's actually engage the conversation of what is most likely the scenario based on the information that we actually have. Yeah. If you would have reported aliens or something like that earlier on, then yeah, that could be on the table, but it doesn't need to get, doesn't need to go there because right. none of that happened. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. I, I get what you're I saying. Am I making sense here? Yeah. I get what you're like saying. I want to address the fact that we're not like going there for a reason. Right. So, well, and sometimes the, I'm not saying that's the case here, but sometimes the answer is the simplest one, you know? Yeah. So a few other loose ends about this story. I want to be sensitive about this one. So some people cite Sandra Edwards' behavior about Blair as being odd. One article that I read contains some information about a phone call between Edwards and the author of this piece that I read, and it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Hmm. She made a few comments about how Blair had been romantically involved with a male roommate and then said that, The whole point of Blair's trip to the United States was to attend the 1996 Summer Olympics that were being hosted in Atlanta, Georgia. Hmm. So not only was this information that she didn't share with the police at all, but the games didn't even start until July 19th, which was more than a week after Blair's body was discovered. Hmm. She said that she didn't know anything else, but that was the point of his trip, and she hung up. Whenever attempts were made to call Edwards back, She'd either not answer or have her husband answer, and her husband would say things that were a little bit strange as well. When he was asked about Blair, he'd say things like, quote, we're not going to open that can of worms again, end quote, as well Mm. as saying that the chances of solving Blair's case were, quote, remote as hell, end Mm. quote. Okay. Feels like strange that he could have just been frustrated, like, leave us alone. Like, this has been going on for a long time. Just leave us alone. And so yeah. he just said some things flippantly sure. out of frustration. I want to like leave room for that. But even just based on these phone calls, it seems as though everything really wasn't totally as it had seemed when the story was initially being reported on. Mm-hmm. That this wasn't just normal guy suddenly had something go wrong. Nobody right. nobody saw it coming. Right. Um, I feel like that's something that I gathered over reading things written in the nineties about it Mm -hmm. and then reading things written now about it. So I did want to be careful with that because I I don't want to blame his parents, of course, but I do wonder if maybe they do know more than they've like let on over the years, perhaps. Sure. I mean, if maybe they felt compelled to share that, that maybe we could even like one little nugget that maybe seems insignificant, maybe could crack this case wide open and we could figure out who killed Blair. Yeah. So, but regardless, 
This case has remained a mystery and has been cold since 1996 after detectives exhausted every lead that they possibly could. In the end, we might never know what actually happened to Blair or why, but detectives who were on the case, as well as many people who love and miss Blair dearly, are still hopeful for answers. And that is what I have for you this week. Wow. There's a, there's a lot, I feel like, behind the story in this one. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot that we just don't have information on. Right. Oh, and he doesn't have a Facebook profile that we can just go look at or like some tweets we could scroll through to like kind of get more insight into who he was and what was going on in his life. Where we really have, as far as like evidence goes, we have what his friends and family have told us and what investigators have found. And that's it. And investigators haven't found much. Yeah. Jeez. You know, they found his, they found his body Mm -hmm. in a really rough position. Yeah. And, you know, it is possible that Blair was right, that he was not suffering from any mental right. delusions, right. that maybe he couldn't tell friends or family who it actually was that was after him. Yeah. Maybe he knew exactly who it was, and he was trying to throw them off of his trail by mm-hmm. making what seemed to the outside, you know, and in hindsight, as being very erratic, strange choices. Maybe yeah. they were very deliberate. Well, and it sounds like something happened in Germany. It and sounds that, like it. it. It begs a lot of questions. Like, what happened that would change his whole personality, it sounds like. Yeah. What would happen that would, you know, make him, like, all these all these different, different descriptive terms of what he was like after that. Mm-hmm. Like, something happened in Germany and doesn't seem like anybody knows. Or if they do, they don't want to talk about it anymore. Well, because, you know, once again, if Blair was right and someone was after him, maybe he had told his mom. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And that's why in 1996 or 1997 on Unsolved Mysteries, she's saying, I don't, I'll never know what it is. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe she does. Maybe and she maybe does. She, yeah. Maybe she learned it later, you know, from friends or maybe mm-hmm. she was being threatened. We just don't know. And I think that's the thing that is so compelling about this story is that. Yeah, of course, the evidence is limited. The resources were just way different in the 90s. But there's so much that we just don't know. Mm-hmm. And it, I just want to see it solved. Yeah. I just want to know what happened to poor Blair. And I don't think he did it to himself. There were very, very few people who suggested that he had done it to himself. Those yeah. are insane injuries to inflict upon yourself. Right. Um, right. I mean... Not impossible once again, but the defensive wounds mm-hmm. on his arms and his hands, I'm like, I just, those don't happen by accident. And I know right. he had cuts on either his hands or his feet when he'd arrived at the border near Seattle. Yeah. Um, I don't know what state of like healing they were in or anything right. like that, but I don't know. He's just in a precarious, like bodily position too. Mm-hmm. Like- yeah, I mean... It seems like somebody definitely caught him off guard. Yeah. And he was not intoxicated. He was not under the influence of anything. And so right. his reflexes at least would have been good enough to, like, be on it. Yeah. I don't know. Hmm. It just is really sad. This is just a really sad one. Yeah. And I feel like the stories that I tend to be most interested in don't usually... Like, if they do end unsolved... There's usually at least enough of like a, oh, this, this idea definitely makes sense. But it's kind of like when we talked about Lady of the Dunes, Mm -hmm. 
on episode nine and we, none of them felt like they fit. Right. None of right. them felt and like they fit. None of them did. And none of, cause none of them did. Exactly. Right. So we could be missing something completely here. Right. Right. So, yeah. Well. Justice for Blair is what we hope for. Maybe we'll get to see an update at some point. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. That's our hope. So. Man. Well, thank you for listening to the unusual, unsettling, and unsavory story today. Uh, this one definitely, I feel like, takes the turn into a more unusual mm-hmm. thing. It's hard to to make sense of it. It's hard to even describe it at times. Yeah. Um, so that's that's where I feel. Where are you? Where do you feel on this one? I would go with unusual. I would also go with unsavory because I feel like no matter what it was that ultimately resulted in Blair's death, it, it was awful. Yeah. And I also am very unsavored by the not knowing. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. That's what I'd say. That makes it, it makes it hard to swallow. Well, if you enjoyed today's episode, please make sure that you subscribe so you'd never miss another episode again and leave a glowing five-star review. Um, those reviews help other people looking for podcasts like this one to find exactly this one. Also, you can follow us on social media at this one is a doozy on Instagram and TikTok and on Facebook, this one's a doozy podcast. And you can also email us with your suggestions. I actually got some texts earlier this week from people that are like, how do I suggest a, a podcast episode? And so I had to remind them. You just email us at this one is a doozy at gmail.com. And with that, we will see you next week for another doozy. Thanks, guys. Bye. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.